But also, this is a great day as we begin a new series together. We're going to make our way through the Gospel of John starting today through this next year. And I'm so excited that we get to go through this. This is an incredible book. It's a life-giving book. And so let's go to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, your smartphone, it'll also be on the screen uh, behind me. But this is the fourth book in the New Testament written by all people, John, who would have known, who guessed it, right? We know that it's written by John, not that John identifies as the author. A matter of fact, none of the gospel writers identify themselves by name as the writer. What we know about the authorship comes to us by way of church history, that Matthew wrote Matthew, that we see Mark, the gospel of Mark, Luke wrote Luke, and that John wrote John. John in this is not John the Baptist who wrote it. We're going to see him show up in a moment though, but it's John the disciple of Jesus who wrote this book. John is the disciple who followed Jesus. Probably as we look back, we see he's probably one of the youngest disciples and he refers to himself in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Why call yourself John when you can call yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? That's amazing. That's really powerful. It's a reminder of the amazing love of God that he has to each and every one of us. John's writing decades later, after the fact, John now at the end of his life has a very specific purpose in mind. In fact, John chapter 20 Verses 30 and 31, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Three significant words I want to point out that will take us through all of this book in the next set of months together. Three specific words. Here they are. Word number one is signs. Can you say signs? Word number two, believe. Believe. Number three, life. The idea is that there's a progression from signs of seeing the works of Christ, hearing his word, and that through that you make a decision about Christ and who he is, and then when you decide and you believe that he is the son of God, that brings a whole new dimension into your life, and it becomes a new beginning that we want to talk about for the next few weeks together. We're going to talk about the new beginning that God has given each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. Signs lead to belief that lead to life. That really does happen. The signs that we see from God through Jesus lead to belief, and that lead to eternal life. And John writes with a very specific thought in mind, as well as all the gospel writers as well, that Matthew speaks specifically about Jesus being the son of David. Then you look at Luke, he looks at this and he says and refers to him as the, we see a servant of of God. We see that is how he goes and says, and he goes back to the first Adam. Then you come to John and John is writing with one purpose in mind, that you and I might fully know and understand that Jesus is the Son of God. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is his divine genealogy. And when you come to John chapter 1, you see what the theologians said and referred to this as the prologue, verses 1 through 18. 
It talks about Jesus. Now, this is going to take some concentration as we go through this book. So those of you that are sleeping, please wake up for these next few weeks as we go through this. Last week's message was on our theme for the year, Your Kingdom Come. And there are other messages as we go through this book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse that maybe isn't as applicable as other sermon series, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a steady diet of looking at God's word together, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, to think deeply about God, because what you and I think of God and what we know of God and we understanding of God determines the quality and the depth of our walk with God. What am I saying? You can't walk deeply with a God that you know nothing about. So John comes to us, and John introduces the Son of God. It's breathtaking. It's dramatic. It's awe-inspiring. You can follow along in our church app as well. You can take notes. There's fill-ins with the Scripture verse. There are seven words I want to talk about today for these first 18 verses. Word number one is Word. Can you say that with me? Word. Yes. The first word that John uses to describe Jesus is he calls him the Word. 1-1 of John. In the beginning was the what? Word. In the beginning, without beginning, in a timeless time, we have the Word of God. John is writing to the Greeks who are non-Jew, maybe making up about 10% of the church, that John is writing this in, John is writing to this Gentile audience, and he introduces Jesus in a very unique way. When a Jewish listener hears the word word, they understand right away this, that the word of God is the revelation of God to his people. To the Greeks, through the whole idea of word, the Greek word logos is the word that we get our word logic from they would be reminded of something different. We've heard of Plato, we've heard of Socrates, but before them was a philosopher who framed their thought regarding the creation, the small g gods, and his name was Heraclitus. He said above the gods was the thing called the Logos. We see this, the rationale. It's why the universe was the way it was. To the Greek The term logos, he would be thinking in terms of this philosophical idea that there's a purpose, a reason, a cause, or a rationale for the universe that we live in, that the universe had a purpose. Now listen, if I walked up uh, to your house today, you invited me over, and as I walked up, because the temperatures are so warm out, how many are thankful for the spring-like temperatures in January? This is amazing, really. But let's just say it's so warm You wanted to turn your air conditioning on, and your air conditioning didn't work, but you're like, I got to prop open in the door, front door of my house to let in the air. So you used to say, I'm going to look at what I can prop open my door, so I'm going to bring out my food processor, and I am going to use it to put in front of my door so that it will stay open and prop it open. Now listen, a food processor wasn't created to do that, was it? No. Now, a fruitcake, yes. You could do that with a fruitcake. You could put that there, and you could place it there to hold, because that's what it's for. But a food processor is what? A food processor processes? That's the rationale for it. Heraclitus says the Logos rationale 
is above the gods. The Epicureans in that day, they were since, hey, we don't know the reason, so let's party because we don't know the reason. The Stoics in the day said, we can't know the purpose, but let's go ahead and act like we do anyways. They didn't understand the purpose of God, much like people today don't get it either. Like, what is life really about? Why am I on this earth? What purpose am I really here for? And a secular society comes up with limited answers many times, and ultimately, no answer. The humanistic outlook comes into our thoughts that there is no answer, no logic. John is saying in the beginning, there was a rationale for what is taking place. There was a reason, there was logic, logos. The reason is God. A personal revelation of God that existed before anything else existed. That is what he's putting foundationally into these first 18 verses. Jesus, he's saying, is the reason for absolutely everything that you are going through and everything that you see. He is the purpose to your life. That's what he's establishing. Second word, God. Can you say God? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. It's imperfect. That's it's in the imperfect. It's continuously existing. Before time, there was God. And the word was God. And he was, the God, he was God in the beginning, he's saying. Verses 1 and 2. Those literal words, they say inside of there that Jesus was face to face with God. It's John's way of saying he was not only there, but he was God equal to God. What an introduction that we get from John. He, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see this? This is so comprehensive in the work of God. He establishes this. The first half is the positive. The second half is the negative. There wasn't anything that he didn't make. The creative power of the Son of God, Jesus, from the beginning of time. And let me tell you something. Occults have variations of who Jesus is. Like, we understand that in an occult, they have a little bit of Jesus and a lot of other stuff that comes into play. That they're adding a lot of other stuff and humanism into who Jesus really is. And John says, no, I've come to set the record straight on who Jesus is. Like, there's occults that are out there that are mixed in, that there's an actual occult out there even today, like Jesus is a brother of Lucifer. You see that, that's an occult. John, he's saying, he's not just a man, he's not just a great moral teacher, he said he was God, and he is the logic for creation in the world that we live in. Third word is this, in this passage is life. Can you say life? Verse four, in him who Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. Now notice that the life and the light are synonymous. The light is the expression of the life. It is the word zoe in here, which means eternal life, which represents there's a new dimension of life, and it's better than you and I could ever imagine. So he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's something going on here. He said, the light has come. I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. He tells us this and continues to tell us through the book of John, John 10.10. 10. 
I've come to give you life abundantly, right? You get Jesus' life if you know him. Life expressed in life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or your version may say, cannot overcome it. Verse 5. The darkness, literally, he's saying, could not pounce on and overcome the light of who Jesus is ever. We know that darkness is a result of sin. The devil and his demonic beings, they are trying to stop the light, but the darkness can never overcome the light. That's great news today, amen? You might be working in an environment today and uh, where nobody knows the Lord. You may be in a workplace and a job today that you're saying, hey, you know what? In my workplace, it is very dark. And so if you were to come to me today and say, John, I want you to pray for me in my workplace that I would find another job because my workplace is so dark, I'm not praying for you. Why? Because you have been sent there to shine the light of the gospel in a very darkened place. You say, upon my campus today, you don't understand, Pastor John, there's a lot of darkness that is going on. I said, I would say, I believe you, but you're not to leave that campus because you're there for a purpose, to shine the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ so that other people would see Jesus and for who he is. I'm not praying for that, amen? I'm praying that you would shine brightly in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? Amen? We forget that God has sent us into this world to Share his light and be a witness for that. But you have to understand as you come, John says this, darkness can't pounce on it and darkness can never overcome the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So you and I are called to step into an illuminated place that you and I are on a divine assignment wherever you have been put. And this is the point of John in this prologue in these first 18 verses. He introduces us. There was a man sent from God, verse 6. His name was John. This, this is John the Baptist at this point. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. This is the first gospel ministry that we have to understand. You and I are not the light. He's saying this, he was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. So our job is having come to a place of understanding of eternal life that he is the light, Jesus is the light of the world, and we are now to bear witness to that fact. Darkness can never overcome it. There is divine power in the light of Jesus to demolish every bit of darkness. If you believe that, say yes. As you shine the light in your darkened world, maybe in your home today, wherever it may be, God is working and your life is a sign that moves people to believe and it introduces them to life, right? So he says in verse eight, the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Now listen, if a person wants to know God, the reason why, why we exist and why we're on this earth, what's life about? The answer is found in the word. In the Logos, who is God. When you know Jesus Christ, you're moving from darkness into light because you're now living a new kind of life and a new spiritual dynamic in him. Giving your life to Jesus isn't about joining Abundant Life Church. I just want you to know that. That's not what it's about. 
understand that it's entering into a whole new dimension of supernatural life, of knowing God and understanding who he is, and then you will get the purpose of your very existence. John came to bring and bear witness to the light, but not everybody was excited about that. As he comes upon the scene, not everybody's excited about this light of what's coming. Because it says in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his very own, the very own things that he knew and the people that knew him, and they did not receive him. Amazing. Jesus is coming to his own creation And his own creation not only doesn't recognize him, but wants absolutely nothing to do with him. And through John, you're going to see inside of this, this walking animosity towards Jesus. Sooner or later, everyone will have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? Will we fall on our knees and will we worship him with our lives as the son of God Or will we, like the chief priests and the scribes, not allow Jesus to rule over us? That's a choice that you and I have to make. The fourth word is believe. Can you say believe? This word is huge in the gospel. It's used over 90 times. Jesus came to call us to a belief. But he said, but to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you received him, believed in him, you've believed him, you've received him, when a person puts their faith in him, there's this wonderful expression of God's love to us. Sins not only forgiven, but we are invited now into his family. We are adopted. We are adopted as his children. Now it's our Father who art in heaven. Amen? He is not a distant deity, but he is a loving heavenly father that comes to you and to me today. Here's what happens, verse 13. He says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Being born again is what he's saying in here. John's going to build on this throughout this whole book. When a person gives their heart to Jesus, it's not a mental ascent. If a person goes to heaven, it's not because your blood relatives made it. Are you with me? Say amen. Right? It's not if you're Jewish that you're going to heaven because that's just in your lineage. And this was so hard for the Jews to understand. Their blood lineage from Abraham would not save them. Let me tell you something here. Your godly grandmother's proximity to the feet of Jesus in heaven is not going to save your soul. Are you with me now? It is your decision, and it is my decision, and will you and I receive him as Lord and Savior? Listen, if you do, you will be saved. If you don't, you will be damned. Well, I'm trying to work hard for it. No. I gave my time to serve somebody that still won't make it. But putting your faith in Jesus is what saves you. Only God can save us. And God already loves us. There's a religious teacher that we're going to get to in a few weeks in John chapter 3. His name's Nicodemus. Listen, what's amazing, he he knew the scripture better than anybody. 
How many of you know you can, you can know the scripture better than anybody and not know God? Right? You can know the scripture better than anybody and not have a relationship with God. You can know the scripture better than anybody and not be born again. Powerful truth of John chapter 3 in this whole book that he puts in here. Going to this church will not save you. Going to any church in the world will not save you. It's only God that can do that in us. Putting your faith in him does. And it's in that moment that you suddenly, you, you begin to walk into rationale, the, the reason for the Logos, for why you and I are created, and, and you know the God who put all things in order, and that's why John, one of the most important scripture verses of all the Bible of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe, God's trying to get us to a, a belief in him, that's what he's trying to do for all of humanity today. The fifth word is glory, can you say that? This is awesome. He says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John's sermon in an absolute nutshell for the whole entire book. The word, I love how the message Bible puts it, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Don't you love that? He became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. John is saying, this is the personification of it. But more than that, it's God sending his only begotten son from heaven to earth and he's living, he's fleshing this out so that you and I can see him because God was not content with his love remaining in heaven. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to this earth. God became a man. We see this. He died for our sins. And he says the later part of that verse, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We saw the very glory of God. Really? What's that? What's the glory? The glory of God is expressed in two ways through scripture. There's the intrinsic glory of God. That's all that God is and all that he does. That's all of his attributes, love, mercy, wrath, justice, holiness, compassion, grace, kindness, and on and on and on. And then there's the manifest glory of God, which speak to the power of God in our lives. Matter of fact, Moses saw this, Exodus 33, 18. He asked God, please show me your glory. And he said, Jesus, God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. God said, you cannot see me, but I'm gonna allow you to see my glory and I will reveal my glory by telling you who I am. The very next day in the, in the next chapter, chapter 34 of Exodus, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. That's in caps inside of the word of the Lord, which refers to Yahweh when you see that in caps. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He said, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. He's speaking of this moment of the Shekinah glory of God, or you would know this as the Shekinah glory of God. That is what he's referring to. And the Shekinah glory of God is generally displayed in light. 
That's how his glory comes. The kind of glory is too much many times for you and I to handle. Many times you see throughout the word where the glory of God came in such a powerful and a strong way, men and women that were exposed to the glory of God could not stand underneath of it because it was that powerful. There's the intrinsic glory of God and then there's the manifest glory of God that will change us for sure. See, that's the glory that John is referring to. He said, I've seen your glory. I was there on the Mount of Ascension when Jesus was taken up into heaven. I saw his love and his wrath, his glory, his mercy, his grace, and all of that. And John said, I'm an eyewitness to that truth. And John says, now I will testify, because verse 15, he cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me the glory of God. The sixth word is grace. Can you say that with me? Grace. And from his fullness, we've all received, verse 16, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that is never ending. It is the image that you see of waves from the ocean coming up on the seashore. You see grace upon grace upon grace upon grace coming upon our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the grace of God today because without it, I would be dead. How about you? John is saying God showed us favor after favor. As you and I walk closer to Jesus, we're going to know more of his rationale, the understanding of the word we begin to experience a greater revelation and realization of the spiritual life, which is, please hear me, church, not just fire insurance from hell, but it's a life-giving vitality of walking with God and the knowledge of God, and our faith is increased and strengthened, and there are displays of his glory. And you begin to see God working in places, and you step back and say, wow, the glory of God and it's grace after grace after grace. Finally, one last word, truth. Can you say truth? It's a big word to Jesus. It's a big word to John. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law said, do, 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 but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the perfect balance between grace and truth in the world we live in and in our own lives. If all you ever do and all I ever do is speak to people about what they should do, you don't really love people. Did you hear me? If all you do is speak the truth to people and don't ever do the things that favor people, you don't really love people. There's a day where some of you here are old enough, I am, to have lived in that day where the church was really good at declaring truth, but not operating in grace. If some of you maybe never was exposed to that, here's what I'd like to tell you. It wasn't something you would want to go back to. Believe me, many were turned off by it. The pendulum now has swung the other way that there are places that only want to talk about 
grace, but never want to talk about truth. Hear me. Listen, we, we need to get an understanding of why Jesus came. Grace, truth. He's the perfect balance in our lives. So if all we ever do is speak to people about a favor or grace, and we're not, we're not, really, we're not really doing them any good, we're just making them feel good, right? We got to let them know grace and truth, and it's through that there's the transforming power of Jesus in their life to be saved. So if, you, if you're going to speak and live the gospel, let's tell people the whole gospel truth. Amen, church? Come on, let's stop saying partial truths because we want to make people feel good about themselves. Amen? There's a way to do that. There's a way to live our lives. Church, in these days, there is deceitfulness even in churches. The church better wake up. John is saying, Jesus has come. Jesus is the equilibrium on the bubble between grace and truth. If we make people feel comfortable in their sin and never confront them or never raise up the issue of the gospel, we don't really love them. Jesus has this beautiful display of grace and truth when he kneels down and writes in the sand when he's talking to this adulterous woman in the gospels. Remember? Jesus comes upon the scene, and here's the adulterous woman. And he kneels down, and he writes something in the sand. Nobody knows what it is. People try to think they do. We don't, because it doesn't say in Scripture what he wrote. But Jesus wrote something in the sand. And he turned to the adulterous woman, and he said this, Where are your accusers? And she says, They're gone. He said, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. That's truth. That's grace. It's truth and grace together in tandem that really will reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one's ever seen God. God the Father is invisible. Jesus knows him face to face. Only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Made him known to us. What is he saying? He's revealed it. God's revealed Jesus. He's exegeted him. He's brought him out and explained it. This is the rationale for your life. This is the rationale for your living. You know, there's many people in this room today. You're wrestling with why you're on this world, on this earth. Why you're doing what you're doing. It's not uncommon for people to wrestle with that. Sound of my voice online. There's so many people that are wrestling with the fact, why am I really here? And so John gives us the answer. It's in the Logos. It's in the rationale. It's in Jesus. And if you can connect Jesus in with everything else in your life, it's going to begin to make sense. Right? He explained Jesus. You want to you know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God feels about things? Ask Jesus. Do you want to know how God feels about you today? Ask Jesus and quit asking other people around you on social media who you are and what you look like and start relying on God's word over you. Are you with me? Stop asking other people like, well, who am I really? You know, I don't know. How, am I, how do I look to the world around me? Start asking God. 
You want to know what God would do in a situation? Ask the Lord. Because he's the rationale for the universe. He's God, very God. He is the life giver. When we believe that we've been adopted, we come to that, it changes us. We experience the grace of God and we grow in our understanding of the truth of God. That's, the, that's what John introduces to us. So today as we pray, I want to challenge believers that are here and I want to challenge those that don't know Christ as well. Will you join me? Let's bow our heads. If you're a believer here today, are you growing in your understanding of God? That's what this is about. Of who he is. Of what he what he's like, what he does. His thoughts of God are the highest thinking we will do in our lives. That's the highest thinking. Thoughts of God. Thoughts of God. So I just want to encourage the believers that are here today. Are you growing in your understanding of God? If you're not a follower of Christ, John has come to you today and said, I'd like you to meet my Savior. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. He is life. He's the reason for existence. And if you'll believe in that, you will be born again. And you will know him. And you will receive him. And you will have a new start. And you will have a new beginning today in Christ Jesus. Those of you in this room today, with every head bowed and eyes closed, and you say, you know what? I need a new beginning today. That's what John offers to every single one of us through the gospel. He's offering us Jesus, and he's pointing the way to him and saying, come to him, find him. So if you're here today and you said, you know what? I need a new beginning, and I need Christ to come into my life, and I want to invite him in to forgive me, to make me more like him so that I can live for him, not only today, but in the days ahead. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to start this new beginning and accept Christ. Can I see your hand? Thank you. I see that hand. Any other hands? I see that hand in the back. I see that hand right there. I see that hand. Any other hands? I see that hand. I see that hand in the back. You can put your hands down. Thank you. God's giving you a new beginning today. Those of you that raise your hands, would you take this moment and would you invite him in and would you say, Christ, come and live with me, Jesus. I need you. Forgive me and cleanse me, Lord, today. Make me new. Thank you for the new start, a fresh start. God's going to cause you to be able to start all over again, sir, ma'am, those of you that raise your hands. Because you're declaring over your life that Jesus is Lord. He is your Savior. And now His light will live in you. Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I thank you for new life and I thank you for new beginning. In Jesus' name we pray and declare and all of God's people said.